Welcome to Music on the Rocks with Jamie Hirsch. Good to see you. Good to see you too. I see the famous fan right next to you. It's my best practice tool. It really is. I'll tell you. So what are you drinking? Tiger? Local beer, Tiger. Yeah, you know it because you're here. You've been here. I know, Tiger. Yeah, I like the Tiger. I'm drinking a Utah local beer here. I'm sure it's a lot better than this. (laughs) Rocket Amber, man. I don't know. It's a beer. Cheers. Good to see you. Likewise. Very good to see you. I'm not going to get into all the world politics and crazy shit that's happening now, but aside from, from you know, if we're just focusing on COVID, right. people are being really creative. It's, it's amazing to see the creativity come around in the world. It's coming out like so much new stuff, so many good ideas. Uh, um, I'm really impressed and really excited about it. Yeah, I think I think it's it's kind of cool, you know. Every time I jump on social media, I I know I'm gonna see something new from somebody, you know. And it used to be, I mean, they're they're the same people who have been posting for a long time, and they've been doing that uh, ever since before this. But now, it seems like a lot of people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon, looking for something fun to do, uh, something creative still, something to keep their chops up or stay relevant or whatever it is, just mm-hmm. be creative. So it's pretty cool. I, I, I'm, I'm digging it also. And I'm liking the stuff that the orchestras are doing and the collaborations between brass players and woodwind players and string players from all over the world, different yeah. orchestras and all that stuff. It's pretty neat. And it open, it's opening up a channel now, like that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, I know you record all the time, but, you know, I rec- I used to record myself all the time when I was young um, on a cassette recorder or, or DAT if I had a DAT. Um, and and I remember in 1995 when I was at school, I lived in a house that had a um, you know I shared with a bunch of guys and they and one of the uh, two of the guys were in a in a band, a regular band. And um, uh, the guitarist got a a a mixer or not a mixer, a, a, a eight track machine, digital eight track machine or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was at the time it was like really really new on the market and i made multi-tracks back then too yeah that was really, that was really fun but now we can do it with all the i know uh, it's crazy you can have like an app on your phone that lets you do it i used to have this four this four track cassette tape recorder yeah, that yeah. Record cool. like four or eight tracks i can't remember how many it was but me and my buddy uh in college we used to record orchestral excerpts and Carrie Turner horn quartets and all, all that stuff, you know. Yeah, that's that's like you know I I I I liken that to like the way we used to do it is like people using a fifty six k modem now. <laughs> it's, like, it's the same thing. No, I mean, not <laughs> Remember that back in the day, the the AOL thing, and it's like the little guy who walked across <laughs> yeah. like doing this. I still remember yeah. the song. <laughs> <laughs> right. Actually, there was another song that I used to remember just since we're on that. There was, I don't know if you ever experienced this. I don't know if all ATMs were the same, but when I was in, in school in Boston, uh, in, so that was, I was in school from 1992 to 1997. And, Man, you and, old. No, I'm just joking. I, I am old, dude. And, and when we used to use an ATM, the, the ATM would go, and then the money would come out. You could hear the, the electrics in the background making that sound. <laughs> that sounds like a like a Nintendo, like an eight bit. Uh... <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I remember when I first got on the road. Um, I used to have my big Toshiba laptop, 
and I would have to like unplug the telephone from the uh, from the wall and plug in my laptop, like yeah. get onto the internet, and I had to have the phone number, and all. it was a real pain in the butt. But it was and, amazing to see that to see that like when my friends started downloading the images, I was just like, my mind yeah. was blown. And an image I, used to come on like boop 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 boop. Well, boop. I was I my kids, you know, in school, I, you know, they complain about technology sometimes. I like look. In, in, 19, or in 1999, when I lived, it was my, second, or my third year in Singapore, I downloaded a, a, a five-minute episode of South Park. <laughs> it took a week. <laughs> and, and, and that's if, if it didn't hang. If it hung, you had to do it again. <laughs> that's so, that was the worst, man, when you were oh. downloading something, and then it would just stop, and you yeah. had been like hours into it, and you're like, oh, come on, man. Or you get to 99, and it stops, you know? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it is kind of crazy how, like, now just everything is streamed. I mean, we're streaming just talking right now, but which yeah. would have been impossible back then. But just even, like, watching movies and stuff. I mean, I remember a day when it took a minute for, like, just an image to pop on the computer. Now it's like, you know. But the thing is, the, the thing is oh, like, I, I mean, like, in terms of, of like, what we're doing right now, I mean, I remember 10 years ago... The first time I, I really saw Skype work was in 2009. Mm-hmm. My friend was using it. The, actually, Daniel, the cellist on the, on the recording of Last Autumn. So we were, we were up, up at my farm, and he would talk to his wife and kids. Um, but I would watch him do it, and he would talk, and there would be this the, the delay. They were always tripping on each other's words, and I said, I, I, that's not for me. And there's no way I'm doing that. And I didn't. I didn't do it. and I actually didn't start this kind of face-to-face thing Till I think two years ago, maybe maybe even sooner than that. Oh, okay. I, I stayed away from it, but now it's like it's unbelievable. We can do this in real time. Oh yeah, it's it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, man. So you were at a farm? Yeah, we have we have like my a real room. like straight up farm with like goats and cows and stuff. Cows? If there's goats, I haven't seen any. <laughs> uh, maybe some mountain goats. Um, yeah, my my parents got a farm. Uh, in 1970, I think, oh, wow. it started a business, uh, Beefalo Cattle. It's a cross between Buffalo and, and Angus. It, it, at the time, it's like, it, was, it, it, it still is. It's like a, uh, uh, they're free range, much healthier options, and blah, 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 blah. No, no hormones, no, it's just totally free range. Um, but it was a very small business. And yeah, we, it's in the mountains of, of Virginia, in the Shenandoahs. Okay. Uh, and uh, it's a pretty big place. It's like uh, between five to seven hundred acres, I think. It's it's in the you know in the mountains. That's why I, I learned I I used to practice on top of one of the ridges. <laughs> and it's overgrown with trees now. But when I was a kid, I played there, and I could hear my sound echo. I would you know I could go da 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 dee, and it would ring for about ten seconds. Oh, uh, that's awesome. But of course, if I missed a note, it go da 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 da. And sometimes you see people on the, on the road, like you get you get one car every hour or something like that driving by. Uh-huh. And and the people will be like, I can see them down there looking around, going, "What the hell is going? Where? What is that sound coming from?" You know. <laughs> Every time a car comes, you get to play your hot licks. You're like, "All right, they're gonna they're gonna hear me play some cool now." You know, I I always try to get back there when I when I go home. I, I should be home right now, actually. Yeah. This is my time to be home, but can't get back until God knows when. I don't know when. Right. We, when did you start playing the horn? What what age were you? Thirteen. Oh, we were this, about the same age. I think I was yeah, 12 or 13. Is that 7th or 8th grade or something? Yeah, 7th grade. 
So I, me, yeah, me too. I tried. I tried. Uh, I, I signed up for it in in fifth grade, but they they made me play trumpet, so I said no. I didn't want to play trumpet. I wanted to play horn, and so I started it in earnest in, in thirteen. And that was a fun time, man. I always tell my students, I was like, as you get through school, like what you do in high school and then what you do in college, it's like so big at the time of what you're doing, when you're doing it. Yeah. But after that, it means nothing. It's like when you go to real auditions, no one cares what's happening in high school and college. Just, I, know. I remember you know? all state band being like the be all end all. And oh, like, it was the best, man. You know, but that, but that stuff was the best. So like, so you started in seventh grade, you started on the horn in seventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Me too. Who's older? Yeah. I, you're younger than me, right? I'm 10 years older than you, I think. Oh, you're not, dude. No. When did you graduate high school? 92. Oh, you're not 10 years. You're four. Yeah. I, I graduated in 96. Okay. So we're, we're, yeah. You have no gray. <laughs> oh, it's cause I, I use mascara on my beard. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> 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 so you started in seventh grade. Were you way into it when you first started or were oh. you just kind of like, eh? No, no, no. I was, it's all, it was, it was all in. everything for me. I'm trying to get back to the way I used to feel about it, actually, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I miss that passion that I used to have for it. Cause I, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be, uh, quite candid. I, I'm not, I'm not shy about, uh, saying uh, uh things about about myself like i have ocd i mean i'm clinically ocd i mean people say oh, i've got ocd but i've got i've got you know i've, t- I've been taking medication for ocd since uh, well i've had it i've had it very bad since i was a kid Mo- oh. it's mostly about perfectionism and right. uh and i and i take me- i've been taking medicine since 1993 i think and still take medicine for it and um it becomes uh that drive I just I, I obsess about everything I do on the horn. It it uh, it can really get in the way, yeah, of, of enjoyment, especially. Well, I can see it being a blessing and a curse because it, you, you hold yourself at a at a very high standard. That's why you sound the way you do. I mean, you're you're a freaking amazing player, but <laughs> like at the same time, it's like it can really hinder your mindset. It's like if it's not perfect then it can really affect you in, in. And I know very well that what there's nothing, nothing is perfect, but I always, it's, it's basically going, I want to play at my potential. That's what the way I always look at it. Right. And, and I used to, I used to practice insane hours. I would practice when I was a kid, I used to practice people. You know, I, I keep referring to my kids cause I don't have children. My students are like my kids. Oh, so. okay. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they, they complain about not having time to practice. And I'm like, I practiced Anywhere, everywhere, anytime I could. I've practiced in the most bizarre places, in the most extreme circumstances. I've, you know, um, you know, on, on railroad tracks in the middle of the night when it's like, you know, minus ten degrees. Um, I've, I've, I've practiced in, in, in like one hundred and ten degree heat in the garage, you know, all summer long. I would get up at four in the morning every day with a practice mute and practice. Um, yeah, I was the opposite of you, man. I mean, no, I would practice, but I wouldn't get up that early. I would be up until then practicing. <laughs> That's why my mom, my mom bought me in uh, high school. She was finally like, man, screw this. I'm buying him a silent brass. She bought me a silent brass and I would play all through the night. And I got the silent brass. I did that too. And that's what I used when I was in Boston. So I could play at night, you know, late night. Cause I, I lived in the dorms at Boston. I chose to live in the dorms for four years, my undergrad, because I could practice in the basement anytime I wanted to. Oh, that's cool. So that's why I, I, I lived there. Um, 
but practicing like is one thing and then being obsessed is a whole nother story. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd hold myself to a, a, a pretty stupid standard and, and, and uh, it's not the, the greatest uh, feeling, but you know, for instance, like I had a problem, you might know about this problem and uh, I don't like to talk about it too much cause I don't want to like get people thinking about it, but the, the delay problem, stuttering problem on the horn uh-huh. and you know, I was told by people, there's no cure for it. You're done. <laughs> when I want you know, like I had people just telling me that I'm like, no, there, there's a totally a way of doing it. That's there's, you know, breath attacks. So yeah. I, I honed my breath attacks to a level that I could breath attack really anything I wanted to immediately without, without, I use the valve compression. I go, you know, ah, like that to, to eliminate the, or to give it a given articulation. Right. So I, 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 I played Bruckner four with breath attacks. No way. Yeah, and, and, but it worked really well, and because um, it, it gave that color of a clarinet, you know, coming out of nowhere. I heard it done before with Barry Tuckwell live. He huh. did a, a Britain's Serenade live. He can play the the this high that right. he just starts from absolutely nowhere. It just, it just it just materializes. Is that have you seen that that video of him uh, floating around? It used to be on VHS, but now it's on YouTube and stuff of him playing like the Britain and. He's not playing the whole thing, but it's just sections of it and stuff. And he plays some Adagio and Allegro, and he plays some just other stuff. And it's so good. Like the, the, he plays the, the, the Adagio from the Adagio and Allegro. And just like the C to C slur is just like somebody hitting a light switch, man. Boop. And it's just like, it's so pretty. But I like with Barry Tuckwell, man, my favorite stuff of his was when he would play those Baroque horn concertos. And he had just like... And he was just so like aggressively awesome. <laughs> it was Chris, just... I used to play that tape. I went through with two or three cassettes because I listened to that. Maybe I listened to it thousands of times. That was mm-hmm. my. If someone would ask me my favorite album, horn album, it's that one. That is. We talked about this before online. <laughs> I think it's my favorite, without a doubt. I have. It's. It's above all. That's my favorite album. Yeah, that's mine too. That and and. Uh, a close second was uh, like uh, Michael Thompson's uh, Golden Echo. Golden Echo. Yeah, Golden. Yeah. His, his lip drills were always like, I was like, well, how does he do that, man? It's so uh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah he man. came to Singapore and I, I talked about that. He was, he's really humble. He's oh, really God. humble. Such a great player, man. Wow. Yeah, that was the first time I heard the Divertimento a Trey. And I just like, I fell in love with that tune from that, that album. Those albums are like, I mean, my top five are pretty much those two plus maybe two or three Bauman recordings. Oh yeah, and, and of course, what Dennis Brain album, one of the, you know, the Mozarts or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, I was talking with Sam Sam Palafian before he passed about mm-hmm. this, and he was talking about how lucky he was to have gotten to record in that era of music because now everything is so available, and everybody can do it. It's just not as special when you put out an album. Like people aren't like holding their breath for the next album to come out or, or they don't know like all the new stuff. They don't own the album and, and read the liner notes and look for the pictures and all that stuff anymore. It's just stuff just shows up and they say, Oh, that's nice. Or I'll check it out later on Spotify, but it's like, it's not the same. So it, in a way it's easier to put out material, but at the same time, it was more special when it happened before. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when we used to go to Tower Records, when, when, I mean, I remember, I remember very clearly when, after the wall came down, uh, uh, when we had the influx of, of, it was called Russian Disc. It's a purple label. And all the Mervinsky recordings came out. Everything, all the stuff from Russia flooded into the, into Tower Records. And uh, 
we were eating it up. It was it was so incredible to have all that stuff coming in, and and we would wait. You know, when something would come out, it'd be like a prized possession to get a CD of you know, of of blah blah blah, and and you just you'd be so enamored by it. And of course, having the, the physical disc and the booklet and all that stuff. Yeah, it was it was it was a really um, special time. I think. Um, yeah. That whole era of I mean, from CDs to records and. Even the records are making a comeback now. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm an audiophile. I've always been an audiophile for many many years. And uh, my my grandfather was. Do you know the the speaker brand called Electro Voice? Oh, EV. Yeah. My grandfather was president of that company. Oh no way. Yeah, in the '60s and '70s. So that's where um, you know hi-fi and recording also has been in our in our, in our lives. My my mom used to record uh, all of our holiday events. On, so I have all these audio tapes of from the '70s and '80s and '90s. And uh, my grandfather um, had a huge record collection that we listened to when we were, when we were young. And it also influenced us a lot. Wow. Um, so, so music always played a big part in, in your life. Yeah. Like, Even though my parents didn't, my parents weren't musicians, but uh, right. they loved music. That's awesome. So you started in seventh grade and you were like, you were a freak about the horn. Like you loved it right from the get go, which I think is pretty, pretty rare. I mean, I was when I started in seventh grade. I was like, I didn't give any cares about the horn until maybe like ninth grade or, or tenth grade, and like then I started. I got the bug and I started like hitting it hard. I, I wasn't all about it right away. So you were into it in junior high, and then so how did high school go for you? Were you well, playing in, in like everything you could and and all that stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. I mean, like, um, I mean, my. <clears throat> my high school was a real fun experience because, okay, so junior high, I started, I think, uh, and then the, my eighth grade year, my band director wanted me to play a solo at the band concert. So I did and, and, uh, played Mozart, the second, you know, and, uh, that was the first time I, I, that was my first solo. I have a recording of that too, still. Oh, you do? I have all my recordings. I've got, I've been recording myself since I was 13 until now. So, I was loving those recordings you were putting out like not too long ago. Of like, I was like, "Dang, dude, you sound so good, man!" Which ones? The the one the the YouTube like, stuff I put up. Yeah, you put out some YouTube recordings of you playing solo pieces and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that was a long, yeah, that's from all, all from from that was a long time ago. Uh, in ninth grade, now I knew about Allstate and everything else, and so I I auditioned for uh, regional band, and I got again I got second. Mm-hmm. And the girl who was playing first, it was two on a part. So oh, I was right. playing second first. And the girl who was playing first really didn't like it. She just didn't really care about it. And I was like, I just, I loved it. And I loved it. And she was so like, you can play the solos if you want. So <laughs> she put, gave me the solos to play. And then, and then that, that year in ninth grade, I made a, I made a, a bet with my, my classmate at Oboist. I said, um, next year, I'm going to get first in, in regional band, first in district band, and first in state. And so that was my goal. So as a sophomore, I made first in everything. That's awesome. And, and then junior year, I started playing with the National Symphony. Oh, wow. So I played professional in, in my junior year. So junior and senior year, I, was all, I, was, I recorded with Rostropovich and National Symphony. And uh, um, it was an amazing time, man. It was That's really crazy. cool. That is awesome. My sophomore year, I really got into playing and, and everything. And I started making an all-state band and all that. And then by my senior year, I, I started playing like kind of freelance in Vegas and stuff. But I wasn't playing a National Symphony. <laughs> I'm recording with Rostopovich and stuff. That's awesome, man. 
I, they had to sneak me into the union because uh, I was I was too young. Um, <laughs> I had to lie about my age. Uh, that's that's a long time ago, so don't hold it against me. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was being able to drive to work <clears throat> to go into Washington D.C. and like and like you know take the day off from school because I had to play gigs was it was amazing, man. That was really the most fun I ever had. Where did you go to school right after uh, high school? Uh, I, uh, so I went to Boston University after uh-huh. that. Um, and then I, uh, it's a long story. I mean, you heard part of it when Sam was around, right. uh, uh, about my, my issues that I, that I had, mm-hmm. um, I had, I had some problems at school and, and, um, I got in trouble for like, I mean, I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to hide anything. I, I, I mean, at, the, at that time weed was, was not legal and, uh, but it wasn't weed that got me in trouble. I, 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 I you know, I had my own issues and stuff and, as a, as a child, I had a, I didn't really have a, have a, a go through any problems in adolescence. I uh-huh. sort of, I had my adolescence during my college time. So <laughs> I overdosed an LSD uh, in my uh, second year, ended up in the hospital and uh, the top brass found out about it at Boston university. And uh, so and everything at BU was going really well. Right. And then they found out I was, I, I, that happened. And I, I had auditions for Tanglewood and I, and uh, Roger Voisin and uh, I forgot who else was there. Um, I forgot the guy's name. Um, they both told me, cause I had, it was one of my best auditions. I played there. They said, you're in. Right. Like directly in. And so I was, uh, I was really happy about that, obviously. And then after that, after the, the thing happened with the drugs, uh, Roger Voisin ostracized me and, and, mm-hmm. and asked me from everything. But um, I still, you know, I did my own thing. I, instead of going to Tanglewood, I went to Aspen. And in Aspen, I met uh, Lon Shui, which, which I had met him actually years before at Tanglewood, the BUTI division. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me about the job here in Singapore. And I auditioned there, and I won the job and came here. And wow. Was, right out, you know, I, I auditioned for, I don't know, in my second year at BU, I made – uh, Principal Horner for Boston Symphony was open before when Jamie Somerville won that job. Mm-hmm. I passed the first round. Mm. Uh, that was it. <laughs> That's all I did. I didn't <laughs> take any auditions. I well, totally freaked out in the auditions too. I, I wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, as far as the drug problems go and everything, it's crazy that the difference in um, in the day and age that we're in right now. Yeah. It's like if somebody went through that now, a lot of teachers would probably try to to help them and nurture them through that or or uh just you know get them on the right track or 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 something because obviously i mean at that point i mean it's like you're you're in they know you sound great they know you're all about it and then just to kind of turn their back on you when it could have been they bring you in and help you you know i mean literally uh, literally at graduation at graduation on stage uh when you come out to collect your diploma he would be greeting people shaking their hand and then you go to the vice the dean of the school and get in your 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 uh, diploma he turned his back to me on stage for, uh, he didn't shake my hand yeah there were, it was a real different time man you know it was uh it's heartbreaking it, it, it was it was terrible and that and in that time i also uh oh, there's a lot of things happened at bu that that uh, but at the same time the best teacher i ever had was at bu ralph mm-hmm. gomber the oboist was my was a, he taught me he was one of my teachers and and uh it was the best he has but he was the best teacher i ever had aside from garrett seifert when he was out here in singapore <laughs> um that's awesome you studied with garrett seifert 
well, he, he played with us for, for many years and, and, uh, I learned a lot. He didn't, he wasn't really teaching me like, like as my teacher, but he, you, oh, know, but you were, he, yeah. along and he, just, he, he, we got along really well and he was, uh, of course he did teach me, but he didn't call it that. He just, yeah. he was a colleague, but he taught me so much. It was amazing. He still has my, my, my all time favorite recording of the concert stuck, man. Oh, that, that, that's, and the funny thing is, you know, everybody would ask him, including myself, I'd say, Gary, what's the hardest piece you have to play? He said, concert stuck. Of course, you know, he owned that piece like nobody's business. And, right. uh, yeah. But he, he's, he said, it's the hardest piece. He played it. He, he was in. The, he was seventy four when he left Singapore, and he played it. He played first when he was here in a reading. Wow! And uh, he sounded just as good as he ever did. That's ridiculous. I, well, that's like one of the best things about what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Is that these dudes and women? It's like I mean, you look at Gail Williams, and and they're you know, I mean, if they were an athlete or they were somebody else, they'd be you know past their prime and they'd be doing something else. And they're still kicking butt, man. Sounding oh, yeah. great into the 60s, 70s. And it's just like, holy cow, man. It's so cool that like I, I'm 40 and I can I can still look forward to another 20, 30 years of, of playing oh, well. You know, we hear keep hearing about the, the new 30, the new 40, the new 50, you know. Yeah. <laughs> the age is going. But it's, in, in a lot of ways, it's very true. I mean, um, as we get healthier, as we get older, um, as we get healthier. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything in moderation, right? I'm just joking, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but seriously, like, like um, if you take care of yourself properly, we, we have a lot of knowledge now about how to take care of ourselves properly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if we do things the right way, there's no reason why we can't. That's why, like, you know, a lot of us are like, you know, we may or may not like Mike Tyson, but the fact that he's thinking about reboxing again is pretty damn cool when he's in his mid-50s. And have you seen him? He looks have amazing. Like videos? He looks sick, man. That guy's scary. He's so fast. Oh, he's so fast. I when I lived in Vegas, uh, I used to see him jogging all the time, like in in when I was in high school. Yeah. I, I, he he didn't he didn't live far from from where I live, or lived, although he, his house was much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> and he had tigers, and I had a Maltese. You know, yeah, I think you're right, man. It's like uh, that people seem like they're. I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact that we're getting older, that uh, that older people seem younger now. Maybe, but but also like another another example, like the guy, the guy who set the world records for planks. You see, oh. he saw sixty no. sixty two. Oh, he I didn't see that. plank for like seven hours. What? <laughs> I'm not I'm serious. <laughs> I didn't, he must have felt like terrible when he got up, man. I can't even do it for like, you know, a minute, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's uh, that's a, that's a debatable point. It, it may or may not be that it may be that we're looking at things because we're at the point of half empty, half full uh, <laughs> right. um, or approaching that. Um, but I think, I seriously think that there's a lot of players that are in their sixties and well into the sixties and even the seventies are still playing up a storm. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, Jay Friedman is still principal trombone yep. in Chicago. Yep. Well, you know, I mean, Sam played with us all the way up until he was 69. Sam, man, Sam, I, I was, I mean, all of us were, were uh, taken aback that he had cancer because he looked like the healthiest person in the world. Oh, he was way healthier than me. <laughs> he was just, like, he just, he was exact, he, he was no different when I saw him than he was 25 years ago. It was, the guy had more energy. I mean, we'd be on the road. 
he'd be the first person up. He'd be like running around doing more stuff than we were doing. And then at, at the end of the day, we'd be like, Hey Sam, you want to go grab dinner or something? He's like, no, I'm, I'm going to go uh, teach the Tubi studio over at this place. I told them I'd show up and he would be the last person to finish the day also. And then he'd be up again. Oh, I, I, I'm going to go uh, breathe up these kids at this school. You, you guys want to come? We're like, hell no, no, we don't want to go. But I mean, it's, you know, it's, he was insane. His energy was, was infectious. Well, that's another reason why I love BU is because he was there. Yeah. He was, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, still really raw to think that he's gone because if anyone was undefeatable, it was him. I thought Mm -hmm. he he was invincible. Garrett also felt that way to me. Garrett Seifert also felt invincible. Like Mm -hmm. you couldn't see him, you know, not doing what he's doing, but Garrett, Garrett, I don't know what, how he became pretty recluse when he got, when he got, he got sick and then he didn't want to show any, he didn't want to, you know, be around anybody. Yeah. And uh, he passed away when he was, I think, 84. Um, uh, but I, he passed away probably because he couldn't play horn anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, that was his life. I mean, he, he, even when he was here, he was just, it's all about the horn. It, it was a, anyway, to add on to this uh, as a segue to to uh, or not not segue just to add on to this 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 little point in our our, our conversation, you know, uh, to anybody listening, if you can get time with these you know great great musicians and players, you know, the, the older players, and and you study with them, talk to them, whatever, do it because, mm-hmm. th- I mean, the, those two guys just 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 those two guys were like how huge they were in my life and how huge they were. I mean, even you never met Garrett, still what an impact he had on you, right? I listened every day, man. Yeah, every day. Every day. You know, I mean, it's like, and you would emulate. And that's one of the things as a musician, you're constantly like mimicking, emulating, just like trying to be like the people that you you love they're playing, you know? Yeah. And another thing that you hit upon, uh, you're talking about longevity in in just taking care of yourself, but also taking care of your, your chops. You know what I mean? It's like, I noticed that like the players who, who seem really efficient about their playing and the ones who have a routine to hang their hat on, the ones who play the basics all the time seem to really be able to play for a long time mm-hmm. without injury or, or without, you know what I mean? It's so, so long as they don't overextend themselves or, or anything. Like Which that. is always hard to, because when you feel, the problem is with that is when you feel good, you you want to keep playing and that's when you end up injuring yourself. Yeah. Well, that's why, you know, I learned that from a, from a euphonium player friend of mine when I was in high school, this kid used to practice constantly, but he would always, he was one of the first people that I knew who would like, he had breaks in his practice routine, you know, and he would like, he would play for an amount of time and then he would like make sure that he rested. And, uh, me, I was like always just kind of, kind of like gung ho. Yeah. Once I got into it, I was just like, oh, I'm gonna, and I almost like took it as like a point of pride. I was gonna play until I fail or whatever, you know. And then I noticed that once I started kind of taking breaks in my practice and and being efficient about practicing, my endurance in performance got got better, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was able to play more efficiently, you know. Absolutely, and, it's critical. Like in my in my routine, I mean, I can always I can always still add more time off. But I mean, a rule of thumb is like if you play one exercise and you take the next, you take the equal amount, the same amount of time you play that exercise, you take that off. 
So if I play a scale that lasts 20 seconds, I take the 20 seconds off okay. or 40 seconds off. Yeah. It, because, because like, like a lot of times you think, you know, one thinks that if they're warming up, that everything should be there right away, you know, cause I've, I've met people that, that they can do that. Right. Um, of course, everybody has their positive uh, aspects of playing and neg- negative aspects of playing. And if somebody does something that we don't do well, we're like, you know, how do you do that? But of course for them, it's, it's usually natural for them. But like for me, I tend to put my long tones in the beginning of the day, um, mm-hmm. a few long tones in the beginning of the day, and to get them to be, to be like the best shape possible, it takes 10 minutes to do three long tones. I do three long tones, and I, it takes me about 10, between three to 10 minutes, even 20 minutes maybe, until I get to the point where, I, where I'm happy with that. Because as soon as I'm, I get that long tone to do what I want, the rest of it follows. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that might entail bending the pitches, and, and do, you know, pitch bends and all sorts of things, but playing and taking time off and waiting. Playing and just wait for it to wake up. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, we got to remember that these are really small muscles that we're working with. Yeah. And it can be an easy house of cards that can fall apart. It's like I've seen a lot of people, like, it, they'll, they'll have, like, some sort of problem and then they won't correct it. And then it'll kind of get better because, like, some little muscle will adjust and it will compensate for something else that's not working right but then that will fail and something right. else will compensate. And then that, that you can maintain that for a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, gone. And you're like, well, what happened? So it's, it's really important to, I think, do what, what you do, which is have like a really uh, a solid routine. I do the kind of the same thing as you do where it's like, I, I kind of have to find my sound for the day, even though I've been playing the horn for 25 years, whatever it is, it's like, you got to find the center. You got to find the sound. You got to find like it. And then once it's kind of locked in throughout your routine, then I'm ready for the day. You know, Yeah, it's like anchoring yourself. You anchor yourself to port, then you can do whatever you need to do. Mm-hmm. The times when I have hurt myself in the past, I always budget my time and my strength for whatever I have to play. Um, but there have been times where I've gone to rehearsals or the conductor says they're doing only this for this amount of time and normally they stick to that, but then they do it for twice as long or, or they do it again. Or, and uh, that's why I end up hurting myself, especially because it's very hard for me not to, to play full volume. I'm with it's, you. It's, I mean, the people that I know, many people that can sit through a whole rehearsal and play half volume, I can't do that. I just, it's very hard for me to do that because I, in order for the music has to sound right. Uh, anyway, so I, I don't, and so I have to, it's the loud playing that really screws me up. So yeah. sometimes I've done things where I've gotten to the end and I've pretty much spent because it was a really hard program. Mm-hmm. And then the conductor's like, let's do it again. <laughs> oh, and then they do it a third time. And I've, that's where I've really gotten hurt. So as I get older, the, the playing less becomes more viable. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I start to do that now because I, I, I have to. Well, um, and part of it is, is the bravado. <laughs> I mean, I've, yeah. I've always been, you know, I had a hard time for a long time when I would uh, play an orchestra and I never wanted to use an assistant. And then when I got into playing professionally and, and I was playing and stuff, I, I, then I didn't know how to use an assistant really. I didn't know like what to do with them. And I always kind of felt like, you know, if you're using a bumper, then it's like, uh, what, why do you need to do that and stuff? But you look at like all these great players and it's like, they're, they can get through it too. It's just they're they're being smart, you know. And me, I was I was just always like, oh, I got to do this myself. I got to do this myself. And and uh, 
it's not being smart. (laughs) We don't use assistants here in Singapore. Um, Very, very rarely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and when we do, it's a godsend, you know, it's like, you can breathe because there are, there are certain pieces where, you know, you just can't make a certain phrase happen the way you want it to happen. I use an assistant to make my musical experience, my musical presentation better. Yeah. I, I, I use it to optimize my, the, whatever I'm trying to say. It's, it's really ironic because I've played the longest piece ever written for horn, but at, at the same time, my endurance sucks. <laughs> my endurance, I don't no, believe it for a second. It's, it's not good. It's just, that's my, my, cause I play, or Einsetzen, you know, I play like so far and then, and that, that causes a lot of endurance problems. So well, same way as you, man, you but know, you said it like as much as I do. Uh, I don't know. Do I have a mouthpiece on me? It's like, in the where I have like a thousand mouthpieces here. Hold on. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. It's like, like, you know, it's yeah. maybe not in as much as yours, but well, look how high I said mine. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, there's a funny story about this. Uh, uh, I studied in college. I also studied with Dick Mackey, and uh, um, I met him uh, under un, under this circumstance. I kept on hearing uh, he, he, people. Uh, people had told me that if you don't play Anzets and if you don't play like this, you know, exciting against, he will change your amateur hmm. without a doubt. And so people said, if you stay with Dick, he's going to change your amateur. I said, I said, I doubt it. I said, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to meet him and, and, and ask him. So I was one time I, I, I saw him at, at school. He was teaching. I said, mm-hmm. Mr. Mackey, can I ask you something? Can I play for you or something? And he goes, he, and I, he said, yeah, sure. He goes, I've heard that you said, you know, if someone plays, you know, Einsetz and that, you know, that's not possible, you will change. He says, absolutely. And I said, I said, I'm here to prove you're wrong. I'm here to prove you wrong. So he goes, okay. So I played. He goes, how do you do that? How do you, how do you do that? And then, that was like that started the conversation. I ended up studying with him. He never changed my amateur. That's awesome, <laughs> right, uh, dude? So I was going to ask you about last autumn. I was mm. going to ask you about that piece. So how did that come to fruition? I mean, I know you know the composer pretty well, but <laughs> pretty well. Uh, <laughs> Michael's very private about his his. Uh, he's private about his life. He's private about how he does. He doesn't really like people. Have always want to know why he's written a certain piece or. Mm-hmm. what it's about and he, he'll never say he, he's he, he really doesn't want to have any preconceptions or uh, right. uh he wants the person to figure it out you know i mean obviously if it's got thematic material or i mean like like if it's based on a set of poems or whatever it's got uh you know there's there's ways of figuring it out there but um uh, since he's his opera which he premiered um a few years ago the opera was about his battle with cancer mm-hmm. and uh, um and last autumn was written in 2007 when he got his diagnosis of cancer. And so mm. uh, he, that piece was pretty much about like, it's called last autumn because he didn't know if he was going to survive. Oh, wow, man. That was like his last autumn. That's it's So it was really heavy. Um, he told me about it. Uh, we were all freaking out about, about, you know, his diagnosis and it was very serious and thank God he's fine now. Um, right. uh, he wrote that piece and, you know, as a brother, I'm, I, I don't want to ever say no to him. So, he wrote it and I, and I, and I, and I got it. And of course I got the, the scores like, you know, this thick. Yeah, I uh, remember you showing me in your car. I was like, what the hell is this, man? It's like, it's, a, it's like war and peace, but like. Exactly. Um, so I got the score and I was like, I looked through, I was like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, this has not never been done before. Anything close to this. 
I said, first thing I need to do is make a new instrument because I can't, this can't be done on this. It can be done, done on a double horn, but it, if I'm going to perform it regularly, it's not uh, uh, practical to, to play it on a double horn because it's, it's, you know, it's very stressful and it's in, in many places, places it's not going to, it's not going to get the sound I want and it's not going to have the accuracy that I want. Well, um, how long so, is that piece? First of all, two hours, two hours long. Yeah. And that's, and it's, I mean, it's two hours of exposed killer. I mean, it's, it's, it, and it took me two years to learn the piece. So I built a horn for the piece, as you know, the desk can I built with Jim. Yeah. There's a large bore desk can, which had never been done before. Well, I had been done before, but never to the point where it actually worked because the, the larger the bore you make on a desk can, the more out of tune it gets. So mm-hmm. I made a desk can horn without, without a, without a low F side. B flat with the high, with a high FX trigger. And that's it. That piece has four octaves. Um, so even the lowest stuff I'm using, but, but because of the, the, uh, the horn has got a large bell, even the, lo- the pedal stuff I could still do with an acceptable sound. You sound ridiculous on that low stuff. It's like, it's oh, like such a, and it, the sound that you get, it's not spread or anything. It's got like this core to it down there. It's just like, like somebody's playing a bass trombone or something. I really, really I always, <laughs> ironically, like my, 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 my best friend growing up, who's still here in Singapore, my best friend, uh, Alan, Alan Meek, he, he, you know, Alan, mm-hmm. uh, I learned if I wasn't a horn player, I'd be a low brass player for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, I always, my, my head is in the low, is in the low stuff. I mean, that's where my favorite sounds come from. And, and, uh, so yeah, I, my, my low register, I developed by basing it off of what I heard. Charlie Vernon, for instance, yeah, yeah. Uh, was a big, uh, somebody who really inspired me, but, um, Michael said that I could alter the piece. He says, it's some things are too hard. He'll just change it, but I don't want to really change anything. You know, I want to be stick to it as, as much as possible. So we didn't really change much and it's evolved over the years. And, and, uh, he's rewritten it over and over again. So the last performance we did last year was uh, a lot of, was a lot of different things in the piece. I, I briefly put up an excerpt, an excerpt from it, but, uh, on Facebook, but then Michael's said he'd rather not uh, have the, the piece, dissected like that which i understand so that's why i took it down um but that concert that we did in vienna at the at the uh, Wien modern was an all-day concert of of three works that was one piece so mm-hmm. it started at 5 a.m with vanishing pavilions that's that's two and a half hours mm-hmm. so, solo piano which michael premiered years ago uh, and it was done by another another guy then it was last autumn two hours and then uh a, a monster piece piano piece six hours long <laughs> um, so the concert went from 5 a.m. Till, till 8 p.m. And the guy who played uh, the, the six-hour piece, was it was the best. It's one of the best concerts I've ever heard in my life. Wait, six-hour piano piece? Like, I mean, was there three intermissions in the piece? Yes. yes. Wow, man. What the? And people stayed the whole day. That is nuts. And, of course, Michael's music is, you know, it's very heavy. So it's... Uh, yeah. Very dark. Anyway, it was an incredible experience. And, uh, and he wants to do a lot more of that. He wants to do it again, but we can't do that because of COVID. So. Right. But that piece, I tell you, takes a lot of... He's written a lot of pieces that many people haven't heard yet that I have recordings of that are equally as hard, but just shorter. <laughs> right. I mean, he writes stuff. He's, he's been expanding the possibilities of the instrument for, for years. Yeah. Notably, because when we were kids, uh, he would hear me practicing in the garage and... I practice difficult stuff because he heard me do difficult stuff all the time. He thought that was normal. So he wrote that in his music. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's awesome. 
well, you know, and now horn players get to play cool stuff because you sounded good in the in the practice room. So there you go. <laughs> or the garage. <laughs> yeah, man. So um no, what's next for you, man? Do you have anything that you're you're working towards or any stuff happening? Uh I just focus on my kids, my students, and uh I always have ideas. I'm always talking to Jim about ideas on the horn. You know, mm-hmm. I love I love the the the, the art of, of building and instruments and and i always like to improve things and uh oh you mean uh, like building a different kind of horn yeah i mean or tweaking things some way i I mean i i love being his the the tester uh you know i go there and i test instruments and have you know we have have a really great relationship so i really i i I appreciate him so him and chorus so much um they're great go after the sound that 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 we've got in our heads you know yeah it's a real pleasure to do that when you figure out the octave key, when you put an octave key on the horn, <laughs> let me know, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll needs an octave key, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> but um, other than that, my hobby is is uh, gemstones and and mineral specimens. I remember. Hey, do you still have the coins on your? Uh... Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, man. Which ones did you get? Did you get the American Eagles? Yeah, or... that's right. Because I had the Vienna Philharmonics on mine, and this then. You saw them, the ones I got. Uh, I I chose. You helped me choose them. Yeah, yeah. I just didn't know if you still had them on. So of course, worth more now, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, but they're, but they're soldered on. You know, they're 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 really on there. Uh, yeah, that's okay. They can. I I got mine off because I I got them off the. I I don't play my Patterson anymore because uh, Boston Yamaha. Brown is the Yamaha artist. Uh, but uh, I've got those coins on the Yamaha now, so. I, it still feels really nice. Oh yeah, it's the best, man. If you're listening, you get, and you want to get coins on your horn, just you know, save up some some coin, <laughs> save up some money, and uh, get yourself some one tenth ounce uh, gold coins. They they fit perfectly on the valves, and they look better than the dimes. Do it. Makes your horn <laughs> brings up your uh, horn value also. You know you want to do it. Come on. <laughs> you know you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, man. So much fun to talk to you. What time is it over there right now? Is it afternoon? 3.45 p.m. Oh, nice. It's almost 2 a.m. here. So, hey, are you still driving the cool car? No, that that one's gone already. Because, uh, you know, we the, the cars have a 10-year lifespan in Singapore. Right. After you, so that one I bought five years old anyway. So I've, I've changed it, I think, twice since then. But what I finally bought a, I bought a new car, though, since, since then. I just bought my first new car ever. What did you get? It's called the brand's called Sanyong. You probably don't have it there in, in, oh, in the US. Right. It looks like it looks. It's a it's a Korean car. It looks like uh, it looks like a little uh, uh, Land Rover. Oh, nice. That's cool. But I love it. I love it. It's it's diesel and it's uh, very efficient. I really really like it. What was that car that you were driving when when you picked me up? RX8. That was a great car. That was a great car. You can pay extra money and keep it though, right? You could, but that car <laughs> had the worst gas mileage of any car I ever had. I got like... Well, Singapore is a small place, so... No, dude, I have to drive a lot. <laughs> I, I think it got 100 and, 130 miles per tank. Ooh. 150 miles per tank. Awful, awful. <laughs> that's because of probably how I drove, too. Yeah, that's true. And you buy gas by the liter over there, so it's like it's yeah. very, very much more expensive. But that, but I, I got uh, the car I have now 
this little SUV mm-hmm. has fantastic mileage. Basically, it's $40 to fill up the tank, and I can get 500 miles out of the tank. Whoa. Yeah, my, my truck is, is not very eco-friendly. I need to get it. I want to get a Tesla. That's what I want to get. That's might be oh, my, I would my love name. to get one of those, too. Cool. But, uh, yeah, right now, my, I think I get, like, I average, like, 14 miles to the gallon in my truck, man. It sounds good, right? <laughs> oh, it's a it's a cool truck. I mean, I like it, but uh, it's thirsty. It's like <laughs> it's thirsty, man. <laughs> well, man, I look forward to the next time I get to see you in person. I, we, Boston Brass hasn't been back to Singapore in a while. Yeah. We used to get over there more often, but we haven't we haven't been able to get over there in, in the last couple years. So. And then this got kind of thrown in. So we're not getting anywhere right now. Yeah, well, as soon as it gets better, we'll bring you out here again, for sure. The kids love having you here. Oh, we had a great time every time. Well, it's been really nice to talk to you, Jamie. Hey, brother. It's been awesome, man. Hopefully you can get out of the house soon, you know? (laughs) It's okay. I I mean, between Netflix and, and all the anime that I like to watch and my video games, I'm okay. I was gonna say, have you been binging stuff before? Okay. We, I was about to end the conversation here, but I gotta ask you now uh, because me and my wife, we we've kind of run out of our our shows to watch, you know, and we need a new one. What do you suggest? Well, I don't know if you if you watch anime. I love I, I love anime. So oh really? Uh, I mean, there's so much anime, great anime out there. But if not, um, I'm sure you've watched all the shows. I, I, dude, I'm, I'm saving. I mean, like I haven't even watched Game of Thrones yet. Because I'm saving that for my fifties. <laughs> I'm playing video games. I still I have my PS4. I love my video games. So I'm waiting for the PS5 to. You know, I'm going straight oh, from PS3 man. to PS5. I never bought a four, but now I feel like if I go out and buy a PS4 now, I'm just gonna want to get the new one when it comes out. It's got to be coming out soon, right? Well, it's, it's retro. It's retroactive, so it works for the old games. It's coming out in December, I think. Yeah. See, so I just I I'll hold off. But hopefully they come out with a new Gran Turismo or something with it. I'm sure That's, they will. That was my, my favorite game. Gran Turismo, oh. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> I was never good at, at racing games, but I'm, I'm good at RPGs. I'm not good at it. I just like playing RPGs. That was the whole reason I would always buy the newest Nintendo. I, I never played anything on any of the Nintendos except for the Zelda games because I love That's those the games. Best, <laughs> the best. I still, I just still love it. I still... Final Fantasy VII just came out, a re-release of that, and that was fun. So oh, cool. I'm looking forward to all the re-releases of stuff as well. Nice, man. Well, right on. Well, I'm going to get to bed, all right, and, man. Uh, and I'll be talking to you soon, man. Thanks so much for, for joining me on this. And uh, oh, Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Totally my pleasure. Right on. Well, I'll be catching you soon. All right, brother. You take care. Have a good night, and uh, thanks for having me. All right. Anytime, man. All right. Peace. Peace.